This week's Major Spoilers podcast goes out to Damian Burkett from the Bind on Equip podcast. Steven tells me that that means something to computer types, but to me it just sounds like random words. Horde. Hamburger. Marsupial. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into details about the topics discussed. So if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items we talk about, you might want to come back later. Damn it, I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Steven, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans. Steven's fortune turns, Rodrigo's fortunes wane, and Matthew still can't get 86% IR. Plus, worlds will live, worlds will die, and I still won't have 86% IR. And the game nerds and the techno nerds unite as one, leaving Steven and Rodrigo on an even playing field at last. And I still won't have 86% frickin' IR. Also, one ring to rule them all, one ring to find them, one ring to bind them all, Burma Shave. Plus, everyone in Mordor has 85.97% IR. And a domine, 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 the Batman's Catholic now, apparently following the teachings of Cathal. Finally, the Muppets are back, and they like to tempt fate. Next thing you know, they'll go into business with Eric Bischoff. Then, after an hour, Evita, in all her glory, from the window ledge of the 23rd story, like Thelma and Louise did when they got the blues, swan dove to the courtyard of the Gracie Muse, the Major Spoilers Podcast is on the air. Now let's see if we can actually talk about some of the things that uh, Matthew mentioned in the show. Hey, everyone. How are you? Welcome to the Major Spoilers Podcast. How are you? My name's Matthew. That is Rodrigo. We call him Roger. And uh, Steve's the one with the shiny head. Eh, not so shiny anymore. I haven't shaved it in a couple of months. Steve, so. Steve's the one with the head that looks like it's made out of uh, feathered naugahyde. Yeah, it's been flocked. Had that, had that thing specially uh, martinized for uh, extra sliciness. You know, there's been a, just a couple of news stories coming out in the past couple of weeks. That I, you know, it has been kind of slow. I think it's because mm -hmm. of this buildup of Toy Fair 2010. A lot of companies have been quiet. Then, of course, we had President's Day, which caused everybody to shut down for a few extra days. And then, of course, we have this huge-ass snowstorm that hit the East Coast, mm -hmm. which not only shut down um, Washington government here in the U.S., uh, yeah. But apparently it knocked out the servers over at Diamond Comics one Our of the days. benevolent dictators, yeah. And I don't know if that's actually delayed anybody's comics this week, but we will proceed as much as we can here we in the... We will proceed, we will proceed. 17 degrees and dry ground here in the Great Plains. Mm -hmm. There was also some thing about Olympians or something. I oh, know you know, that. that's probably the other thing that's taking up yeah. everybody's occupation. <laughs> one, one of my co-workers came Sports. in today... <laughs> He's like, I've been sick. I'm like, yeah, I know you've been sick. You missed three days. He's like, I feel like a loser. I'm like, dude, too soon. Too soon. <laughs> That's terrible. Terrible. So the Wheel of Destiny has up on the news for us this week. Number one, Toy Fair 2010. Number two, Dungeons & Dragons on the Microsoft Surface updated. Or number three, the greatest Muppet movie of all time, Matthew Spinnett. Spin it, Matthew. Spinning the wheel of morality, turn, 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 and tell us the something, something, something that rhymes with learn. <gasps> and Rodrigo, you can see this uh, wheel a little bit better than I. Tell me what number it falls on this week. 
Three? Three. Three it is. The greatest Muppet movie of all time. That's the title of the brand new Muppet movie that's currently going into production. Hopefully it's going to start uh, shooting in, I think they said this summer. (laughs) I don't know. I have, ever since Jim Henson died and I was... I was working yeah. at Disney that year that he died. Hmm. So, and that was also the same year that the Muppets joined Disney. Hmm. And so it's a really kind of weird kind of thing. But, you know, the Muppets just have kind of lost some of their their luster to me. Their, their cachet, if you will. Yeah. I liked... Well- I liked Muppet Treasure Island, which was a which is a, oh, yeah. a Disney joint. Yeah. I think it's I think it's Muppet worthy. They've done a few other things, and especially like the Muppets backstage thing that they're doing now is just yeah. Yeah, the television series specials that they've done the last couple of Christmases, I don't think have have done so well. Mm-hmm. But they're hoping. Well, Go ahead. I think that there there are. I have a few bellwethers by which I read the world, and one of them, for good or for ill, is. Family Guy, and Family Guy hit it right on the head when they said, now we have wrong-sounding Muppets. And then you see Kermit, hey, Swedish chef. Yeah. You know, and, and Fozzie walks in, who wants to hear a funny-ass joke? Right, right. You know, it's it's ridiculous, but it is kind of the point. We have an emotional connection to these chunks of felt and ping-pong ball. And when the voice changes, it's like... To me, it's like faux Muppets. It's like Muppets Light, or it's somehow not. It's not the correct Muppets, and my inner fanboy is like worst Muppet interpretation ever. Well, hopefully, they're going to try to correct it with the greatest Muppet movie of all time. The Muppet (laughs) Studios are in trouble Uh, if they cannot produce a show. My guess is this is a movie since they're talking Muppet Studios. If they can't produce a show that will attract ten million viewers then the studios will fall to an evil oil baron. Hey, kids, let's put on a show. Yep. Uh, clean out the barn. I got a banjo. Which is largely the same plot that every Muppet movie has followed of, you know, yeah, here's the Muppet. Yeah. They are poor. <laughs> and now they're trying to be less poor by doing the Muppet thing. Well, apparently they've all been away from each other for a time. Mm-hmm. I don't know how that's going to work since, you know, we just saw this Christmas special. <laughs> a couple of months ago and they were all together. I, I don't know how it's going to fit. I don't know if people, if kids especially, still watch or would be interested in watching a Muppet movie. Oh, I know kids, my son... Kids had, that haven't seen the Muppets before might. I don't know. My son had no interest in the uh, television special when it was on. I tried mm-hmm. to get him to watch it and he was like, meh. He watches Big Bird and the other <laughs> Muppets on Sesame Street. And the only one he really gives a half a shake of is, is Elmo. Mm-hmm. And even then he could, you know... Pass or you know, pass it or, or take it with Elmo. Uh, the Muppets aren't really, really actually entertainment for kids. No, they're, they're entertainment not. I mean, if you that watch appeals the very to kids because they're cute, right? But like, I I know that as a kid, I watched the Muppet Show, mm-hmm. and recently still I went on the air back. When you were a kid, uh, or were you talking about the new Muppet? No, show? no, 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 no. Like the Muppet Show. Oh, really? Okay. Well, it, is this I, in it was, Ohio or in no? Mexico? This was this was in Mexico. Ah, Mexico is roughly seven to ten years behind in terms of it, pop culture. It, like it, it, it can be. Um. <laughs> I don't mean that to be as incredibly condescending as that came out. Uh. By the way, <laughs> but I'll I mean, have certain- you know, I'll have you know to it that it's moved to between four and seven years. The internet has done wonders well, we, for us. Well, anyway, yeah, it's, it's for century. <laughs> um, the uh. But I went back and I started watching episodes of the old Muppet Show and I realized that I didn't remember any of it. And 
I, I, I think that is because I liked watching the Muppets sing and dance, but I didn't get any of the jokes. Like, they're really just oh, yeah, not yeah, for yeah. kids. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Oh, and I'd agree with well, you. Well, especially Statler and Hitler in the... Statler and Waldorf? <laughs> Statler and Waldorf. Not Stalin and Hitler. Wow. No. Never mind. Statler and Waldorf's <laughs> jokes are, like, really grown up. And the episode, I watched it with my daughter with um, Elton John. Yes. Mm-hmm. The only thing that she loved in it was the uh, Benny and the Jets rendition, which mm. is a song that she absolutely adores. Mm-hmm. And the rest of it, she was just like, are they going to blow up or something? <laughs> I mean, it, it just wasn't appealing to yeah. her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they're not haven't been too many comments up on the Majorspoilers.com website. Eh, but nine, but, the, comments, guess, but... the comments that are up there are kind of heated. Oh, yeah. There's, there are Muppet factions as far as people... Uh, there, there's like Muppet purists was... that only like the Jim Henson stuff. There's uh, people that follow like particular Muppet directors. Mm-hmm. Like they're like, oh well, you know, the Disney stuff is okay as long as it was done by this guy. Right, but this right. other guy, total hack, 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 hack. And yeah. I'm a member of the Muppet Wolf Pack, where uh, Snookums calls himself a big sexy Snookums cool, and I, I believe Fozzie has red face paint, so you can tell him from the usual. Fozzie. It's actually Wolfpack Fozzie. I'm a, I'm a uh, Muppet apologist. Are you? Really? Are you? <laughs> well, you know. Muppet Generation X. What's going on over at Boom Studios with their Boom Kids uh, Muppet mm-hmm. stuff? That stuff's actually pretty good. Yeah. So maybe but, and it still sells. For it. Yeah, it does. And, you know, it, and, and what that is and what that stuff is trying to do is to capture, uh, you know, it, they, they actually have both things going. They're like Muppet Peter Pan stuff is trying to capture that feel of the kind of like the Disney Muppet movies that they started mm-hmm. coming out with. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Muppet show, in parentheses, ongoing, is trying to capture the feel of the actual Muppet show, like backstage, you know, where are Gonzo's chickens kind of show. Yeah. Let me ask you guys, <laughs> when you watch a Muppet movie, what would you prefer? An original Muppet tale like the Muppet movie, the Muppets Take Manhattan, mm. Or would you rather see them take on a story like the uh, Christmas Carol or um, Treasure Island in their own wacky Muppet way? Wacky Muppet way. Um, for me, we've seen plenty of Muppet renditions of stories. I'd like to see an original Muppet thing. I, I wasn't really into Muppets from Space, which I yeah. think is the latest original Muppet, like Muppet-only movie right, kind of right, thing. Right, 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 right. Um, but I'd be, I mean, I'm always, I'm pretty much always willing to give the Muppets a try. Every time I see something with the Muppets in it, I'm like, oh, I hope it's good. I hope it's good. <laughs> Why isn't it good? That Muppet Show, Matthew, you're talking about selling uh, back in January. Uh, Muppet Show number one placed 210th out of 300. So that's, that's not, not bad. bad. Yeah. What about you? Not Would you rather for- see. Muppet Peter Pan fell number four <laughs> fell down to 255. Matthew, what would you rather see? Would you rather see an original Muppet story or them take on, like, uh, Beowulf or something. I'd rather see <laughs> Muppet Beowulf, yeah. That'd, That'd be, be awesome. <clears throat> Muppet Oedipus. <laughs> <laughs> With Robin, Robin killing Kermit yes. to get At Miss Piggy. Piggy. Yes. Uh, oh, good times. God, good, good why? times. You know what I'd rather see? I'd rather see Tom Baker, Peter Davison, Colin Baker, Sylvester McCoy... Paul McGann, Christopher Eccleston, the new guy, and uh, David Tennant come together and do a new Ten Doctors movie. That'd be pretty cool. Because for me, when I was growing up, let me tell you what the Muppets were. 
The Muppets were something that kept me from seeing more John Belushi because I only ever saw the Muppets on Saturday Night Live when I was oh, a kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. By the time I started watching the Muppet Show, it was in reruns already, and I was like, "Wow, this didn't suck as much as my sister's liking it would have made me think that it should." <laughs> It's the same reason I can never, ever watch Wheel of Fortune again. It meant that I couldn't watch Danger Mouse. But if I had to see, say, you know, the difference between, I don't know, Muppet, let's say Muppet Treasure Island, Muppet Ivanhoe, or a regular, hey, look at this, uh, Fozzie works in a creepy bar kind of movie. I'd rather see just the Muppets doing their own thing. I'd like to see like a Blues Brothers getting the band back together story. And I think Where that's Miss, what Miss Piggy is like in working in porn and, and you know, <laughs> Kermit is like a bouncer at a club somewhere and they have to go across the country. You know, Scooter, of course, is also working in porn, but that's neither <laughs> gay porn, gay porn. Yes. Well, <laughs> that was I, kind Scooter of implied, was, right? OK, Scooter was pretty, pretty <sighs> obviously the gay Muppet for me. And I don't mean that in a bad way. He's a very likable character. But there were a lot of things about him that made me think, okay, this is cool. Scooter's into guys. There's nothing wrong with that. Whatever whatever it, happened to his twin sister? I think Scooter, the twin sister only existed for Muppet Babies, didn't really? she? Really? There was no twin sister. It was Scooter transitioning, <laughs> okay? He was working on passing. <laughs> so... And- and on that note, everybody, if you'd like to comment on The Muppets, the greatest Muppet movie of all time, head over to Majorspoilers.com. I still uh, think Rodrigo <laughs> said it best. That title, they might as well just call it 1313, The Macbeth Titanic. <laughs> Break a leg. All right, we'll be right back after this. How to get a Major Spoilers shout-out. If you want to get a personalized shout-out at the top of the show, all you have to do is the following steps. Number one. Visit Majorspoilers.com. Two, click on the Make a Donation button. Three, donate $10 or more to the cause. Four, sit back and relax and hear Matthew butcher your name and say something cute about you. Major Spoilers, bringing the good stuff since 2006. Hey, you guys want to win some uh, Hasbro Star Wars action figures? Uh-huh. Of Hell course yeah. you do. Of course you do. Hasbro... I want Bib Fortuna, by God. Hasbro sent us a bunch of Star Wars Not action the figures. action figure. I needed to keep this my is, shirt. This is one box, but there's another box upstairs. Uh, what do I got here? There's something. I got a day one issue of Darth Vader somewhere. Ooh. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Got some Galactic it's... Heroes Star Wars figures here. I like those. They're pretty cool. My Let's wife see. was like, make sure Mason does not see these because he will want them. Mm-hmm. And he uh, will steal them. Yes, and he will steal them. Are those fact, the Smiley Smiley Galactic yeah, those heroes? Are the, yeah, yeah. These, these I right love here. those. Yeah. I have the Smiley Smiley Iron Man and Punisher, too. Those are way cool, Junior. Yeah. Well, we do have some Iron Man figures to give away, but this one is specifically <laughs> a Star Wars contest. And what people are going to have to do is they're going to have to call our... Major Spoilers hotline number. Matthew, you want to fill everyone in on the Major Spoilers hotline number really fast? 785-727-1939. The Major Spoilers hotline. What we want you to do is call that hotline and leave a 30-second message about how great Major Spoilers is in your best Yoda voice. Up to 30 seconds. Up to 30 seconds. It can be less than 30 seconds. Yeah. But not more than 30 seconds. It can't be you imitating Grover. 
It can't be you Wait, imitating now, this no, piggy. You cannot contradict yourself. Either they can sound like Yoda or they cannot sound like Grover. That's like saying, you know, do Matthew, but don't be obnoxious. <laughs> do Stephen, but don't be overbearing and a little bit rude. No. Well, you forgot Rodrigo. Uh, oh, got a problem do, with Rodrigo. do Rodrigo, but don't be eminently, apparently forgettable. <laughs> Have you guys noticed that I'm funnier when I'm pissed off? <laughs> All right. So what we want you to do, call the Major Spoilers Hotline. Call the Major Spoilers Hotline. Record a message of up to 30 seconds in your best Yoda voice talking something about Major Spoilers. We're going to pick, I think, the best. Let me dig through the box here. One, two. I think the best four. The four. best four. And we're going to send you some Star Wars action figures. All right? It's open-ended for now, so we're going to give you a couple of weeks to uh, to do this. But I wouldn't wait. Yes, I'm talking to you future people. Hello. Yeah, future. Contest. That's it. Rewind it if you missed it behind all the inane laughter and, and jackassery that we're doing. 785 rewinds it back to the point where he's talking. <laughs> well, yeah, That's how rather, I listen to the podcast, too. Would, would you rather have him rewind it and then pretend to be you? Uh, no. Let's move on to reviews. Hi, I'm Steven, and welcome to the Major Spoilers <laughs> Podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comics fans. Batman, 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 Star Wars, Batman. Hey, did I mention I'm a writer? Well, I didn't mention it. Uh, <laughs> reviews, Matthew. Let's. Uh, this week we got three reviews coming your way. I want to hear Rodrigo first. Rodrigo, I want to hear you uh, tell us about this Wolfman movie with Benicio the Bull. Benicio del Toro. Is this the one where he works at the station with 100,000 watts in Mexico and everybody loves him because he talks like this? No, a different kind of wolfman. And I think that <laughs> you I thought think, she was digging you, but she was digging me. I think that's a reference <laughs> that even flew over Rodrigo's head. So, uh, Is this the one where he wrote Crisis on Infinite Earth? So that, uh, no, that's, a, that's Marv Wolfman. That's Marv Wolfman, my yeah, bad. And right. don't confuse it with Image Comics' Astounding Wolfman. That's right. This, this is the movie well, remake. Yes. This movie is all Kenny about Jr. Warren Zevon. Oh, yes. Oh, oh. oh. Werewolves of London. London. Now, this is the... uh, Did a little old lady get mutilated on panel in this movie? (laughs) No, but Benicio Torres' hair was perfect. (laughs) Um, Anyway, (laughs) yes. Um, It has the same same tune as Sweet Home Alabama. (laughs) Does it? Okay. Pretty much. (laughs) Anyway. Yeah, somebody did a remix of it that's terrible. (laughs) All right, so... Uh, the Wolfman, set in England, um, a young uh, British young man who's been educated in America comes back home because his brother uh, was brutally killed by some sort of beast off in the moors. And um, that's how the story starts. It, it's a it's a remake of the original. It's. It, I, I, Last time I saw the Wolfman was a really, really long time ago, and I don't really remember much of the. I think uh, I was around ten when I saw the yeah the original was, Wolfman. Was that uh, Boris Carl? No, Lon Chaney Jr. Jr. Yeah, Jr. Um, Jr. Yeah. So, um, this this movie was pretty great, except for a couple of things that I didn't quite like. But um, it when I went into this movie, I was like. All I want out of this movie is two things. Good special effects and for it to feel like a werewolf movie. And what I what I mean by that is, you know, not necessarily for it to have a lot of like jump in your seat moments, which it right, did. It had right. plenty of those. Okay. Um good suspense and it has to feel 
like a tragedy. Mm, yeah, All the, the good end, werewolf yeah. movies are tragedies. The original right. Wolfman was, an American Werewolf in London was, Ginger Snaps. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it's when the feeling's gone and you can't go on, that kind of thing? Kind of. Um, speaking of an, uh, an American Werewolf in London, there is definitely a scene that is, I, I'm pretty sure, an homage to an American Werewolf it's the in same, London. It's the same makeup artist. Is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, is it Tom well, Savini? I don't... No, it's um, Baker. The hey. yeah, the scene in an American Werewolf in London where the werewolf is like running through Piccadilly Circus mm-hmm. and just everybody's like driving and people are getting thrown into walls and stuff. There's that scene, except set in Victorian England, is actually ah, pretty cool. cool. Um, the story's pretty solid. There is a very very solid twist that I just did not see coming. That kicks off the third act. It is very cool. Um, I think is it's he really funny. a vampire. Well, I was gonna <laughs> say, Evan and Costello show up. Here's here's what I here's what I think is funny. There's been one very solid uh, version, modern version of Dracula, uh-huh. and this I would say is a very solid modern version of the Wolfman. Both of which star Anthony Hopkins. Ah. Uh. Uh. So he's. I think he's setting himself up. If he ends up playing Doctor Frankenstein, I guess uh, <laughs> you could you could argue that the uh, Brana Frankenstein was a uh, the most decent recent version of Frankenstein. Anyway, um, I do like, I like Monster Movies. I, I do enjoy him. <laughs> um, I like that uh, Saturday Night Live digital short where it's like Twilight except with Frankenstein. Yes. yes. <laughs> Say it, Frankenstein. <laughs> Anyway, um, there is only one thing that I really kind of didn't like about the movie, and that is actually the design of the Wolfman. Really? Yeah. I think that it's nice that they're trying to pay homage to the original Wolfman. I think it's nice that they're trying to stick to their source material or whatever, but it's 2010. You can't have... A wolf man with a cute little doggy nose. Why not? He kind of looks like the shaggy dog. <laughs> so so you're saying you, you want to see more American werewolf with the distended, stretchy, fangy bits. Well, you do, well and you do kind of see those. Um, the wolf face isn't as important to me as actually that little nose. Like, really? The nose actually makes him look kind of cute. Okay. Um. Which is a problem for me. Um, we've seen plenty of, you know, quadruped werewolves that I didn't mind. It's fine yeah. that he's a biped werewolf. Right. We've seen lots of wolf head werewolves, kind of the uh, the howling style werewolf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I didn't mind that that one wasn't, that, that it didn't have that going. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually just that nose that bothered me. Uh, everything else as far as makeup and special effects, there's a great scene where they have him tied down. Um, in an insane asylum, and they're like, oh, no, you are just a lunatic. You are not a werewolf. And they have him strapped to this chair um, as the full moon starts to rise. And they're like, and now we will prove to you with all of these witnesses here that you are not a werewolf. And that transformation scene is just fantastic. Oh, yeah? Like, that whole scene has everybody... Do they do it as a series of fades from the the makeup just patching on in places? Not not like the original one that was all fades. (laughs) This one is... um, a lot of uh it is a lot of cg 
as and and especially the hands, the way that they do like his hands transforming is very right. cool. Right. Um there was one other thing that bothered me, and that's the CG animals. Oh, I was going to say the creepy gypsy lady? No, no, that was fine. Okay. Because the gypsies are actually, like, good in this. Yeah. It's, it wasn't like, gypsies bad, they cursed them. Because, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I did mention that it is 2010. Um, <laughs> it is? So as to, why there's, as to why there are gypsies in a movie, I don't know. Crap, um, I should pay my rent. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's a CGI bear and a CGI deer, and I was just looking at them, and I was like, those animals are computer-generated. I I was, like, expecting for this big uh, rumbus to appear over them so I could select them while I was in the theater. <laughs> um, but other than that, very solid, good plot, excellent pacing, um, good characterization, good, nice, you know, uh, good, nice curveball. <laughs> At the end of the second act, um, very moody, um, as far as I can tell, you know, veridic as far as the time period. Yeah. Um, Still killing with the silver bullet? Uh, no. They don't kill him with the silver bullet. Nope. A werewolf, in this in this uh, take on the werewolf, a werewolf has to be killed by someone who loves him. Ah. All even of the more villagers, tragic. All of the villagers think... That you kill a werewolf with a silver bullet. Mm. And they keep trying. So a perfect Valentine's and Day movie. I took my girlfriend to it for Valentine's Day. All right, so the big question then, Rodrigo, is do we clap for the wolfman or not? Um, He doesn't get that reference, <laughs> Oh, sorry, he was born in 1985. I keep forgetting. 83, thank you very much. <laughs> you know, in 1983, I had a paper route and a car. Yeah. Oh, boy. So, uh, I guess, in other words, uh, give us some meatloaf ratings there, my friend. All right. I'm going to give the Wolfman 2010, which really makes me think like it should be like an Aeon Flux-looking thing. Um, Four slices of meatloaf. Ooh, four slices of meatloaf. That's pretty high praise from Rodrigo. Well, I don't want him to eat me, so I want to fill him up on (laughs) meatloaf. Um, Benicio del Toro was a good choice. Uh, on top of it all, he the the only problem is that I like, he looks very tired throughout the whole movie. Yeah, when and doesn't well, he's been he's been drinking pina coladas at Trader Vic's? Of course he's tired. <laughs> um, so you but, know how but, much time it takes to look for Lee Ho pork? <laughs> Lee Ho. <laughs> Never mind. Oh um, boy. Anyway. <laughs> What was it we were saying? Oh, yes. <laughs> Something about the Wolfman. That's right. That's it. Um, Four slices of meatloaf. Wolfman, yes. don't eat Rodrigo. Correct. Uh, thank goodness it's not a full moon. Excellent date movie. Mm-hmm. Right. It is. <laughs> what? what Rodrigo you know what said. else was a good date movie? Event Horizon. <laughs> Ghost ship. <laughs> uh, virus? Uh, okay, Matthew. What? Enlighten us with a review this week. Uh, well, I wanted to review uh, Namor the Submariner number 32 from 1978, but Stephen was like, no, we need to be more timely. Oh, no, I didn't say that. I said you couldn't review Crisis on Infinite Earths number one. Because we well, already did. Because we already did. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I didn't, but you know, I may have been drunk that day. I'm going to guess drunk. So what, what, what are you going to do? JSA. Blown away. What else do I have to say? JSA All-Stars. 
number three, 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 with a bullet came out this week. Um, for those of you who weren't in the know, the Justice Society title was briefly written by Bill Willingham and Matt Sturgis. Right. There were 57 members of the team. And so Willingham and Sturgis actually split off, and Willingham is writing JSA. And Matt Sturgis has launched a new title, JSA All-Stars, with a portion of the JSA lineup. Right. And honestly, Sturgis probably has the more dynamic cast. He has Power Girl, Cyclone, Stargirl, uh, Magog. My Gog. Citizen Steel, Damage, Judo Master, Our Man, someone named King Chimera, who's kind of interesting, uh, Tomcat, Wildcat's Kid, and then somebody else who obviously is extremely memorable. But uh, the JSA All-Stars have been following up that plot thread in Justice Society that made Steven so crazy. Why would they not attack the Star-Spangled Kid, Stargirl? Right. And in this issue, we are introduced or reintroduced to Johnny Sorrow and his Injustice Society, who've been trying to get the JSA. And it's revealed that Johnny Sorrow is in love with Stargirl. Oh, isn't that sweet? Who I hope is now over 18 because... I still think she's 16, but okay. She's a 16-year-old with braces. Yeah. That's creepy. But the JSA, um, the all-stars in this case, uh, gather their troops and they say, okay, what are we going to do? I say we hit him really hard. I say we hit him really hard again. Okay, let's go do that. We have a little side piece with the Atom Smasher. We have a really cute moment um, where our man, who is on one JSA team, and Liberty Bell, who is on another JSA team, prepare to go to work in the morning like any normal married couple. She kisses him goodbye. She takes off at super speed. I like the fact that they broke up the team and split this couple over two teams, but they're not going to break up their, their marriage. They're still super happy. They're still perfectly normal, but you know they work different places like everybody does. There's some fighty-fighty and some more fighty-fighty. The art is by Freddie Williams, and there's a couple of sequences in here where the characters are standing around talking, and it's dynamic as hell. Yeah. Where Wildcat, Tomcat, looks like he's about to leap off the page, and Power Girl, who, by the way, is lacking the big hole in the chest of her costume this issue. Oh, really? Intentional or an accident? I think it's intentional. I think they have removed the porthole from the uniform and I'm not sure if it's in a, a long-term decision or if it's just an alternate costume but it's not really referenced hmm. it's not a huge plot point which I like and Magog keeps challenging Power Girl who is the, the leader of the team challenging 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 until she punches him in the face yeah it's a beautiful scene ladies and gentlemen it is worthy of Gil Kane himself he flies off panel, and he gets up, and he's like, uh, I'm all grim and gritty, and I look like I was drawn by Rob Liefeld on crack. And he stalks off. The issue ends with Sandman, Sandy, Sand, whoever he is, trying to get back in touch with the JSA. Sand, as you may remember, showed up early in this iteration of the JSA, and then just sort of disappeared. Yeah. Apparently, he's been sleeping days and days at a time and having these weird nightmares and unable to really function. Mm-hmm. And he is now somehow an intrinsic part of an ongoing plot. So something is going on with Sand. 
And then the really cool part of the book comes in. It's got a co-feature of Our Man and Liberty Bell. And it's kind of like, um, it reminds me of the old uh, Ralph and Sue tales. Right. But it's kind of a Nick and Nora Charles kind of adventure where they're trying to get this artifact out of Italy and they're competing with Tigris and the Icicle. And they end up having a big throwdown in the airport. And, of course, Liberty Bell is about to be picked up by the cops. It, that story is really fascinating, an overall read. As far as the book goes, the first half is a little gog-heavy for me. Yeah. You know, it, we're kind of sidetracked from whether or not the villains are villainous by the fact that Gog wants to be in charge. You know, I've Or Mugog or the Gog. And I've just pretty much given up reading any title that features him in it. I just cannot stand that character. What's really awful is the JSA annual that came out either the same week or the week before mm-hmm. seems to have Gog quitting the team. And then he's back in this issue. I just, I, I cannot stand Magog. I don't Neither know why. I can't it, imagine why they gave him his own title. Is it is it that sort of thing where you're not supposed to? Is he is he written in so that people will hate him? My God, well, I hope he's, so. He's not Damien. So, I don't, let I don't go, think so. <laughs> let, let it go. Well, Magog is supposed to be this proactive character who wants to bring military tactics to the JSA, but he's doing it in such a derisive and such a an abusive way, you know, calling out Alan Scott, calling out Power Girl, calling out the Flash. That's like, you know, throwing an F-bomb at your grandma. It's just, you don't do it. Right. And, you know, he called out Alan Scott and brought Alan Scott to the point where Alan freaking Scott, 67 years worth of Green Lantern or whatever it is now, flipped out and was was literally about to take this kid's head off with a magic ring. Alan Scott doesn't do that. So I can see why they want him to be the ass clown that he is. But I think that it's just such a negative portrayal and such an overwhelming portrayal of this character. Like they are literally shoving him down my throat and then the only real, and this, you know, right now I'm thinking in wrestling references because I got SmackDown versus Raw 2010 for my anniversary. It, it reminds me <clears throat> of the first world championship reign of Diamond Dallas Page, where they just shoved him down my neck to the point where I was like, even if I did like the character and what he was doing, it's just such an overwhelming push. And it's so, it feels so calculated that I just, I, I can't get behind the character no matter what their intent is. So overall, this is a good issue. Freddie Williams' art is fascinating. The backup story is great. A little less Gog could have, in theory, gotten him four slices of meatloaf, as it is three and a half slices of some very Goggy-filled meatloaf. Very cool. As I hope he does him. get thrown off the team. Yeah, if he gets thrown off the team next month, oh, I'm going to read this book forever. <laughs> All right, thank you, Matthew, for that. This week, I am taking a look at Hunter's Fortune number 3 from Boom Studios, written by Andrew Cosby and Caleb Monroe, with art by uh, Matt Cosin, or Cosine. I can't. I forget uh, the correct way to no, pronounce it. I think it's name. pronounced Tangent. Okay. <laughs> anyway, if you are not familiar with the Hunter's Fortune story, uh, Hunter Prescott is approached out of the blue and said that, hey, your Uncle Max died and left you his vast, vast fortune of billions of billions of dollars. Billions. There's only one catch. 
his uncle Max wants him to find Excalibur in order to inherit the fortune. Otherwise, it goes to his former wife, ex-wife, and the snotty little daughter, who's mm-hmm. a hottie. You know, obviously, the mother-daughter right. team has to be a So hottie she's a snotty hottie? A snotty hottie. Awesome. So they've been running all over the place trying to find clues, and one of the books that Max left, of course, was stolen by the evil ex-wife and the daughter and a bigger-than-life thug. And so Hunter and the team of another hottie, his assistant, his best friend, dorky sidekick, and a research girl, so it's guy-girl, guy-girl, all head off to try to find Excalibur. And in this issue... Uh, we kind of open up where they've been kind of captured. They they found a map in Tibet that pointed them to where they needed to go next. But unfortunately, the bigger-than-life thug uh, took it away from them. Of course, there's a little bit of magic involved because only Hunter can see the the map. No one else can see it. Hmm. Uh, but they manage their escape, and they fly off to northern Italy where they do, in fact, find a sword in the stone. It is one of three Excaliburs that have appeared throughout history. Now, you'll have to go in and read the book or go over to Wikipedia and do a search for Excalibur. Uh, But they do kind of give a pretty good history lesson right in the book about this sword in the stone from our resident historian girl. Uh, They want to try to get the sword out of the stone in order to inherit the fortune. That night they return only to find out that the bad team, the bad trio, have shown up to also try to get the the jackhammer. They're also in possession of um, Uncle Max's book, there's a lot of fighty-fighty, and some shenanigans go on because, again, this thug that the ex-wife has hired is indeed larger than life, and so it takes two or three people trying to bring him down to no avail. Um, they eventually chase the bad guys off. Turns out the really smart girl snuck in while everyone was fighting and made off with Uncle Max's uh, notebook, so now they're back in possession of the notebook. And they're off to their next adventure in the fourth and final installment of this book. It, this I've loved this book since issue one, this this title. It's a great adventure story. There's a lot of fun in it. I think if you are someone that grew up like Matthew and I did in the eighties and you like, you know, spy espionage with a you know, the fortune twist, I think you'll you'll like this a lot. Um the art is generally pretty good. I have one problem though. Since the beginning of the issue, the sexy assistant has been, you know, there's kind of this love interest between her and Hunter. And in this first in this issue, as we open up, everybody's mouths are duct tape. And there's this close-up of her face duct taped, and you see this bulge off to the side of her, her lip. You see that right there, Rodrigo? Uh-huh. What would you think that would be? Um, cold sore? <laughs> well, you might think that it's a mole. You know, she might mm-hmm. have this little mole. Only problem is... Nowhere else in any issues leading up to this is she ever portrayed with this mole on the side of her lip or face. So, again, the only thing I could think of was, oh, man, she's got a nasty cold sore. Keep away from that girl when the duct tape comes off. It's just distracting as hell, and it bothered me. All the art, 99% of it's really good, except for that one panel or two. I think think what it's supposed to be, is she trying to smile with the duct tape on? Maybe. Maybe it's maybe it's like a wrinkle that forms when she smiles just because know. of the duct tape. I don't know. Maybe it's a booger. Well, it could be that too. I don't know. It creeped the hell out of me. Maybe and was they, very well, distracting. Maybe they also Boogers duct tape a watch battery to her <laughs> face <laughs> trying to shut her mouth. So this issue is kind of just one of those where it's fight, escape, fight, escape. 
And that's about all that we really get out of this issue, with maybe a little bit of history thrown in. It's only a four-issue series, and so I'm wondering if they're actually going to find Excalibur by the end, and if uh, Hunter is going to get the fortune, or it, you know what's going to happen. I would really, I mentioned this before when uh, I interviewed Caleb Monroe, making this an ongoing, because there's a great potential for these four to go on continuous archaeological adventures uh, around the world and make it a kind of a modern-day Indiana Jones slash librarian slash, uh, what was that? Uh, Relic Hunter. Relic Hunter type uh, event. I like it. Relic Hunter? <laughs> Not Tomb Raider, mind you, but Relic Hunter. Man, come on. Tia Carrera. Uh, uh, come on. Come Hunter's, on Hunter's come Fortune on. number come three. On. I'm going to give three and a half slices of meatloaf out of it. I was really hoping more in this story. Uh, in this particular issue, because there are only four, and that one panel really bothered the hell out of me. So three and a half uh, slices of meatloaf out of four. Excellent. Yeah, so I think we had a pretty good roundup of reviews this week. You can head over to Majorspoilers.com for more reviews, including an advanced review of the backup movie of the upcoming Justice League Crisis on Two Worlds DVD that I think, I believe, comes out on the 23rd of this month, so next week. Hello, we prefer to call them second features. Oh, man, it is a great short film. You're going to have to go over to Majorspoilers.com and read the, the review that we have up there. Um, we've also got other reviews that are posting throughout the week and other features, so be sure to check that out. And now that we're done with reviews, I think it's time for the Major Spoilers Poll of the Week. Matthew, you want to you... do a little intro for that? No, you just crushed it. Oh, okay. Oh, so if I it's... hadn't have said that, what would you have said? <clears throat> Well, and now it's ruined. Well, just give us a little taste. No, no, no. I, I, I slave my fingers to the bone. My pop culture brain every week comes up with something. I'm gonna, and then you're like, oh, and here's the poll of the week. I'm going to take a note. How am I supposed notes. to follow that? If you, if you deadpan say something ahead of time, it saves us about 15 minutes. <laughs> All right, so the major po- spoilers <laughs> yeah, poll of the week. if I stopped talking, the whole show would be about 15 minutes. <laughs> Correct. Hey, Correct. Like it? Correct. And I liked it. All right. So Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings trilogy is set to arrive on Blu-ray on April 6th. Now, of course, Blu-ray is this great high resolution. Man, Rodrigo, you really need to check out Justice League Crisis on Two Earths in Blu-ray. You too, Matthew. Mm-hmm. You've got a Blu-ray player, right? I'm sorry, I'm not speaking to you. Why not? How dare you? Uh, Next thing you know, you're going to throw me off a flight because I'm too fat. How dare you? <laughs> oh, poor, poor Kevin Smith, that poor guy. I feel bad for him. Although he's probably got to be about the same size I am, the nearest I can tell. And I can sit in, just like him, I can sit in the seat just fine with the armrest down. Oh, well, stupid Southwest Airlines. It's anyway, time. Uh, yes. For the Southwest Airlines poll of the week, should Kevin Smith have been thrown off the flight? Yes or no, Rodrigo? Uh, not on account of his weight, <laughs> Matthew. Oh, uh, maybe on account of Jersey Girl. <laughs> I really think it has nothing to do with his weight. I think somebody on the plane had a problem with Kevin Smith. Really, you think? I so? really think that's what it was. Some snooze. You really think that Kevin? I I, I guess, but. That's what Man, I think it is. If you know Kevin Smith and the way Kevin Smith blogs and the way Kevin Smith talks. Dissing Kevin Smith like that is just like a recipe no, no, no. for. I'm F-U. saying I'm not saying that uh, he was thro- that I would throw him off. I'm saying one of the people oh, involved in getting him thrown off have a problem with Kevin Smith, 
and they use the fat excuse to to do that because mm-hmm. he even tweeted on his Twitter feed that there were people that were fatter than him that they didn't approach and tell them to get their asses off the plane. So, Well, and that's always a great moment when you notice somebody is fatter than you. <laughs> that's why I love going to the uh, Golden Corral Buffet because it's one of my few times that I can be the thinnest man in the room. I can be like, this is where fat people come to die. And I'm just like, oh, look at me over here. I, yeah, I'm in the slim section. <laughs> I'm on the two plates or less, man. I'm not going back for that eighth or ninth turn. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm going to hit the meat. I'm going to hit the dessert. I'm going to get the F out. But I can sit there in that room and I can say, woohoo, reinforced chairs. <laughs> this must be how the thin people feel. Speaking of fat people who turn thin, back to Peter Jackson. Uh, oh, snap. Lord of the Rings trilogy. Come, coming on Blu-ray. It's All a, of us have a... Trilogy. All of us have some form of Blu-ray player one way or the other. I have a standalone system hooked to the home theater. Rodrigo has a computer. Matthew has a PlayStation 3. And they have uh, the movies coming out. Unfortunately, these are the theatrical released versions of the Blu-ray, or um, theatrical versions of the movie on Blu-ray. Oh, they're not the nine? Not the nine-hour editions, no. These are just the theatrical release. So the question is, are you going to buy the Blu-ray collection of Lord of the Rings trilogy theatrical releases when they come out? Yes, no, or I'm waiting for the extended supercut. Rodrigo. No. No? Do you own the, the others? I think so. Somewhere in your massive collection of yes. movies? Yes. All right. It's, it takes up about two shelves. Ooh, all right. Matthew? Hi, how are you? I actually have two questions. First. Yes. When talking about Lord of the Rings, how come that it's the only thing on the website that has a serif font? I'm looking at this, and there's a there's a different font on the uh, the Lord of the Rings poll of the week. Oh, yeah, there's, I see that. It, I blame the Marvel solicitations for this. I yes, yeah, so do I. <laughs> it look, I mean, weirdly, it looks kind of like a Times Roman, which is a preferable font for me because I love a serif. But then it cuts back to our regular, what is that, kind of a Helvetica? Uh, no, this is some kind of Georgia Times New Roman here. I can fix that just like this. But I like it better. Nah. I think we should put the whole site in the Georgia Times New Roman. No, that's just I don't me. think so. Uh, you can't use Question times. two. Okay. How many times have I told my Tolkien story? I don't know. I don't know if we've heard your Tolkien story. Oh, sure you have. My thing with Tolkien is I've never been a part of the Tolkien schmigaggery. Because I foolishly tried to read the Silmarillion first. Oh, Silmarillion, sure. And I couldn't drag myself through the Silmarillion because it was just, oh, God, it was like reading the Torah again. And it just went on and on and on and on and on and on. And I was just kind of like, well, you know, and people told me there were wonderful things further on. But my brain, comic book reader, I'm going to read issue one first. Right. So I never really got into it. I liked the movies, but not enough to go out and buy the special release. So I also voted no. Okay. I voted also no that I'm going not going to buy the theatrical release. I will probably purchase the extended ones if they ever come out. My problem is, and I think according to the poll, and we'll talk about it in a moment, I think a lot of people are, are going to know that, hey, you fooled us the first time on the mm-hmm. DVD set. I'm not going to buy this until the Super Extendo version is out, that third release of the films, yeah, and then I'm going to wait and buy it then. And you are actually absolutely right. 269 votes in the bag, 50%, or 134.5 people voting no. 
Uh, 42% saying I'm waiting for that special edition 19 hour release. Yeah. And then only, only 8%, which is the equivalent of about 45 guys saying, yes, absolutely going to go buy the Blu-ray Lord of the Rings trilogy. Theatrical release. Uh, you know, one exactly. thing I will say is that the DVD, even the extendo release that was done in standard definition, today's Blu-ray players do an exceptional job of upresing stuff to high def. So there's a good chance, a very good chance that you pop in the current standard def version into a Blu-ray player, even at 102 inches, it's still going to look pretty amazing. Mm. So I don't, I don't know. I, I'm going to wait for that extended special edition, I guess. Well, yeah, never mind. What? <laughs> nah, never mind. Go ahead, say it. I was going to go out on a, 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 a tangent about your extended special edition and waiting for an extension, but <laughs> I, I believe I shall post. All right. Everyone, you can go over to the Major Spoilers website and vote and even throw a, a comment up there like Shaman or Shaman. I believe Shaman. it's pronounced Shaman. 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 I will buy it because I'm not waiting until the Hobbit bad. release, which is two years yeah. from now, just to get the full uncut version. Then you are crazy. When the uncut do come out, I will sell this box set. There you go. That's what Shimon says. Shimon! Uh, Rob Shimon! says, no, I already have the special editions on DVD. If anything, this would give me less content. Uh, good In context, point. for that matter. Exactly. All right, everybody, we will be back to talk about Holy Crap, Holy Terror, Batman, right after this. Hello, Stephen, Matthew, and uh, that other guy. This is uh, J. Michael T. on Twitter and the website, calling you from Atlanta, Georgia. I just wanted to let you know how much I appreciate the work you guys do. Um, I have rediscovered comic books in my old age after running across the Major Spoilers website a few years back. And thanks to you, I've had a chance to enjoy titles like Irredeemable, Astro City, Watchmen, and several other awesome books that I wouldn't have known about otherwise. I look forward to the podcast every week, especially when Matthew gives a shout-out to me after I make a donation. And I'm really hoping that someday he's going to get my name right, so I'll just have to keep donating money until that happens. I had a suggestion for a future show or review. I uh, would love to see something on uh, Gru the Wanderer, especially since the Collector Works should be coming out sometime soon, you know, whenever they stop delaying it anyway. And I would love to hear your opinion as to why DC Comics stay so popular based on their monthly book sales. When you know they just seem to be stuck in some sort of desperate effort to unscramble and define the DC universe over and over again. I mean, is it because of the personalities of the people that are running the company? Because I grew up on everything DC and lately it's just, it just seems like all they do is rehash crisis after crisis with very little in the sense of new ideas. And I wonder how they think they can build a successful business model when that requires that your clients spend hours browsing through Wikipedia trying to figure out what the heck's going on. And I'm just wondering what you guys think. And uh, for Rodrigo, I was just kidding about that other guy thing. I love the Critical Hits podcast. Um, you and your playthings have really captured my imagination and you're doing an awesome job weaving a really cool story. You know, I don't play D&D, but I have now purchased the PHB and can't wait to hear the next episode every week. It's like I'm listening to one of those old-timey radio serials. Thank you, guys, and keep up the good work. And, uh, Stephen, you're definitely the hardest-working man on the planet. And you know what? P.S. You should consider licensing the Critical Hits characters to Otter Design, because I would definitely buy a shirt or two with those characters on them. I mean, I'm thinking, like, Torque and Funnel Cakes. Have a good one.
Oh, thank you so much for that uh, for that uh, phone message. Actually, very yeah. very clear this week. Yeah, gotta and love that. It, it, sh- it should be noted that while I do butcher his name occasionally, you, Mister Schlieker, and you, Mister Lopez, can verify that I occasionally do have interesting pronunciations of words of these sort of thingamas. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed you do. So the question Indeed. that he asks, though, Matthew, before we get into our, our book this week, is why does DC stay so popular when, in his paraphrasing him, they, they really aren't that great? DC has spent a lot of time, especially the last 20 years or so, trying to, I, I, I want to say, recapture a fan base that I'm not really sure they ever had. Back in the day, in the Silver Age, DC was top crunch. They were the shiz knight when it came to comic books. They were the guy. And based on that, we got years and years of stories to where it became formulaic. And then, you know, Marvel hopped up and Marvel came in and said, look at us, we're doing something different with a different formula. And DC didn't immediately respond by changing their formula. They said, well, we're going to stick with original Coke or Superman to the point where it became financially irresponsible to do so. And in about 1984, DC launched New Teen Titans, which wonderful series, great creators, but it was essentially the X-Men. And it was an attempt to redefine the DC comics and redefine DC. And it worked which was followed by Infinite or Crisis on Infinite Earths, which was an attempt to redefine the DC universe. And it worked a little less. And then there was, you know, Legends, which worked a little less. And each time, much like the Legion, each time they tried to redefine themselves, they redefined themselves in a manner that make, made them have to say, well, it used to be like this, but now... And because of that, you know, even now when they've gone back to for all intents and purposes, we're kind of on the playing field that we were in in 86 before crisis. Here is, you know, the Legion as it stood up to that time. And Superman has, you know, the things back that he would have had. So now we have to say, well, it used to be like this and then it was like this. But now it's like this again. So it's a question, I think, of DC really more than anything, is trying to draw on 80 years of publishing history. And the positivity of that is they're drawing on 80 years of publishing history. And the negative of that is 80 years of publishing history creates a lot of continuity glitches. Yeah. So if you say, you know, I'm going to hire Grant Morrison and he's going to write Awesome New Batman and Grant's going to go, you know what I'm going to talk about? I'm going to talk about the Batman from Planet X circa 1959. And everybody will say, well, that was written out of continuity with Crisis on Infinite Earths. Grant's like, I don't care. I'm telling the story. They're trying to now redefine themselves again. So it works. One year later, worked for a while and then trailed off. 52 was a great success and then trailed off. Countdown tried to redefine success with 52. And I mean, to some degree, Marvel is in this recursive loop as well where they're, you know, going in, but they're doing it in such a manner where Marvel just kind of says, well, it's always been like this. No, really, it has. Winston Smith, two plus two is five. And to a degree, that's more successful because a huge portion of the audience won't know any better if you say, no, it's always been like this. 
So I think DC is hamstring, hamstrung by their huge publishing history and uh, to a little bit the cult of, cult of personality around the creators, the Will Eisners, the Martin O'Dells, the, you know, the really big guys, the Julius Schwartzes, the Gardner Foxes, the Kurt Swans that put their heart and soul into DC for so long. If you say this story that Gardner Fox did didn't happen, and I'm a big fan of Gardner Fox, maybe, you know, that's a slap in the face to me as a Gardner Fox fan. we got to bring it back in continuity five years from now. You know, I think that Marvel, for all their talk of 70 years of publishing, is really only going back to 1963. And even that is pretty much ignoring all of the 70s. So DC is trying to redefine themselves to be more successful than Marvel. They started by being less DC, and now they're coming back to being more what they used to be. But either way, I think until they say, we're just going to tell some stories, we're not really going to have you know all of this you know stuff where we try and answer particular things, I think that there's always going to be that question of, why do we have to explain how it used to be before you can just tell me about a comic book? Yeah. Rodrigo, you want to comment? <clears throat> I, I've often wondered why... You know, something like The Simpsons. The Simpsons has been going on for, what, 32 years now? Yeah, 20 years. Um, 56. Right. Simpsons so, debuted right and, after Howdy Doody. I, uh, I actually people... watched all the Simpsons episodes as they originally aired. Nice. Um, so did I, except I watched a lot of them in Spanish. <laughs> um, what what I wonder is, you know, a lot of, a lot of people... I'd say eat my shorts in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier. Like, nobody cares that he says, I caramba, because everybody else says it. Um, you know, a lot of people have written for The Simpsons. A lot of people right. have been involved in The Simpsons. Conan O'Brien? Right. Um, but when I bet you that when they hire people to write for The Simpsons, they're like, okay, write me a Simpsons episode. Let me see. Yes, this is The Simpsons. We are hiring you, writer. Right. But, in you know, in comics... Most of the time, they don't do that. They're like, hey, super cool person, what are you going to do with Batman? What are you going to do with Superman? And it screws things up for anywhere from a quarter to half the people, or maybe all of the people sometimes in very unsuccessful attempts. Mm -hmm. um, and then somebody has to come in and change that. And a lot of the time when that person comes in and changes it, they bring their own super cool ideas, which further screw other things up. Mm -hmm. And it just kind of gets into this back and forward of, well, I want to have a team with three Brainiac Fives, which is way more numbers that you need. Right. Um, and then somebody else saying, oh, no, 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 no. Now they're all human and driving around in a cool car uh, instead of getting into the TARDIS. You know? No? Yes. Okay. <clears throat> Not really. <laughs> and as always, all analogies break down in the end. What I'm getting at is, it's all this back and forward, back and forward, back and forward. Right, of, right. You know, right. make, unmake, remake that keeps screwing things up for comics. And if they just lay down a style that they wanted, if they were, if they just said, "Here's where we want to take these characters," you do it, writer. That would be that would probably help, right? At least for a while. Yes. Well, I think DC is run more as a corporate entity as well. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, DC had more of a, you know, these are our intellectual properties. Superman is on underoos, so you can't change Superman. And Robin's in the Super Friends, so we can't change his costume. Whereas Marvel pretty much has run under the whole benevolent dictator role, 
who's our editor in chief? What does he want to do? Okay, we're happy to go. Right. Which has led to, you know, more dynamics in terms of what you can get away with. Say, you know, Joey the Q is not at all worried about Kevin Smith having Mysterio shoot himself in the head when Mysterio is scheduled to be in Spider-Man next month because Kevin Smith wrote a good story. We'll clean it up later. Yeah. Whereas at DC, they may have had to, you know, redefine who Mysterio is before we can shoot him in the head. Right. I so guess it's a valid concern. Yeah. I guess I took the question maybe from a more numbers point. Why is DC as popular as they are in terms of numbers? And I look at it this way. Marvel puts out a crap load of comic books every month. I mean, they put out twice as many comics than DC does. Mm-hmm. Okay. DC puts out a fair number of comics, not as many as, as Marvel, obviously. And then you have the rest, right? You have your images, your top cows, your booms, your red fives, your, your professor and Mary horses. Yes, your dark horses. All of these people who don't your put out nearly who don't put out nearly as many comic books as anyone else. So if you look at pure market share from that standpoint of your question of why is DC more popular, it's because you have two giant publishers, one of which dominates by sheer number, <clears throat> which puts DC at number two always and will always be at number two because of the number of titles that they put out. And then you have the rest. In, in the case of Red 5, they only put out four issues. And four, all four of them, I think, come out this week, and now we won't see another issue for a month from now. So uh, I think it's just a pure numbers numbers game. You know, if Image were to crank out as many books as DC does, I think you'd probably see a change in, in that status quo. I think if DC put out as many books as Marvel does each month, I think you'd see a change in status quo as well. Mm-hmm. So I just but looked there's at it from... Also- from that yeah. numbers There's standpoint. also the argument to be made that sometimes Marvel puts stuff out just to have stuff out. Yes, yes. Spider-Man and the Secret Wars, what's the point of it? Well, we're redefining a story that's 25 years old. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Well, yeah, you got that going for you, which is nice. And, and you know, what's what's selling real well in DC right now? <clears throat> Blackest Night. Right. right. Blackest Night is a story. Zombies. Right. Um, like crossovers. It's, it's, it's a big, giant crossover, but it's not redefining everything that you ever thought to be oh but wait until brightest day and and that's and that might flip it over but right now it's a story about your friends coming back as zombies right 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 right. um and that's what people like that's what people are reading i don't know if it was if it's more or less successful than say infinite crisis yeah um but it's a lot like people are having a lot more positive response to it because although it does like so many things for the big two delve into decades and decades of past history that maybe, you know, somebody who's just trying to jump in doesn't understand. It is fundamentally telling a story, which is allowing people to Mm -hmm. jump into it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, if people want a story that they can jump into, go check out the brand new issue of atomic robo, man, that is a great jumping on point for anybody who wants to know about action scientists. Action science. Scientist. In you know else? what I picked up? Yeah, go ahead. 20 issues of Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew, baby. All right. Okay, let's get into our last segment of the show. In Elseworlds, heroes are taken from their, us- from their usual setting and put into strange times and places, some that have existed and others that can't, couldn't, or shouldn't exist. The result is stories that make characters who are as familiar as yesterday seem as fresh as tomorrow. In the, oh, late 80s, early 90s, DC Comics started printing Elseworlds. The first Elseworlds story 
is Batman Gotham by Gaslight, which was done by Mike Mignola and Brian Augustine and mm-hmm. uh, edited by Mark Augustine. Wade. Okay, Augustine, that was not the first, I mean, that was considered the first Elseworlds title. The first book to actually feature the Elseworlds logo was Batman Holy Terror, which is, Holy the, book, Terror! Which is the book that we are going to look at today. Uh, you can see his stripes so you know he's clean. Uh, Matthew, why don't you give us a, a rundown of the story behind Batman Holy Terror? This is one of your recommendations that we uh, that we review on the show. Absolutely. The thing about Holy Terror, and I'm going to put this succinctly, Holy Terror is a Batman that I like. <gasps> okay. Well, run, run, us, through, run us through the story. Run us through the story. All right. I will. Back in the day, okay, there was a time when the church runned everything. <laughs> Oliver, a man named Oliver Cromwell, years and years and years and years ago, died. Mm-hmm. And in this universe, the, the pivotal event was that Oliver Cromwell lived longer and his philosophies were more pervasive. So essentially, as things played out, as things rolled out, um, you know, America as the colonies kind of evolved a little differently where that separation of church and state really isn't there. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning of this story, we get Thomas and Martha Wayne and their young son, Bruce, walking down the street, and guy sneaks out of the side alley and kablam, shoots him, arg, oh, it's horrible, and the boy's like, oh, no, mommy, daddy, arg. And at that point, a, a cue for justice, you know, a cry for justice. Justice! Thank you. But what's interesting is instead of the standard streets of suicide slum, which may be in Metropolis, I can't remember what it is in Gotham City, yeah, I think you're right. What's it I think it's I think it's an Astro City. I think you're right. Suicide no, Slum. No. Suicide Slums in Metropolis. I'm thinking of something else. Anyway, they're actually in the streets of you know the American Commonwealth and the Crime city of Gotham. Alley. Out. Crime Alley. Crime Alley, thank you. And it's this weird, endless thing. It's all it's all cathedrals and, and gothic flarfants and, and, and things. And young Bruce Wayne, of course, his parents are dead and 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 a policeman who I believe what are they called inquisitors. inquisitors yeah the inquisitor a man named James Gordon is talking to Bruce about the the death of his parents and Gordon of course is is like oh it must be terrible and Bruce is this you and it's the story of Batman basically it's the origin of Batman is told in this strange church dominated society right and and it's not just and, it's not just the United States. I mean, the United States yeah, never split from world. England, and of course, right. England has this manifest destiny. And so, throughout that, you see reports about how we're trying to invade Brazil and about uh, the Western right. Hemisphere is almost completely conquered by the white man and all of this stuff. It's it's pretty strange. It really is. And what's fascinating is Gordon immediately tracks down the killer. Right. I mean, it almost immediately solves the murder, but it turns out that young Joseph Chill was actually in jail and at the time of this murder was supposed to be in prison and was killed in prison under mysterious circumstances. Hmm. And the implication is that somebody released Joe Chill long enough to kill Thomas and Martha Wayne specifically and on purpose. Right. And a very chilling moment comes up, no pun intended. Where, you know, he keeps he, he asks his boss about it and the boss is like, 
Aren't you a father, James? Yeah. You can't let this cloud your judgment. Go home and be grateful for the safety of your own family. And I'm like, well, that's a very clear message of STFU right there. <laughs> and it, 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 I love, 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 I would marry the art in this book if it were legal in any state other than Massachusetts, because it's just that wonderful. Mm-hmm. You know, there's stained glass windows and, and gargoyles everywhere. Right. And of course we, we get a little bit, you know, the, the news with Victoria Vale telling us everything that's going on as you go through the whole book. This is a likable Bruce Wayne. Well, yeah. Cause he's going to go into the church. He's going to become a minister. He's going to become a minister, and you know, th- sorry, there's a, a beautiful scene, a reverend. There's a beautiful scene where he says goodbye to Alfred, and we get literally in two panels, we get a moment that defines Alfred Pennyworth. Mm-hmm. I mean, completely, perfectly defines Alfred Pennyworth. He's talk- Bruce is like, you can stay in the the estate if you want, and Alfred's like, no, 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 it wouldn't be right to stay behind after the family moves on would be presumptuous. Two panels. Mm-hmm. Two panels, and all of a sudden, that is, I mean, that is like quintessential Alfred Pennyworth right there. If we know, if we, I think we don't actually, but if we never see Alfred again in this book. Right, we don't. You know, right there, that's what Alfred is all about. And that's yeah. incredible, deft, deft characterization. Mm-hmm. Just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he's like, oh, I'm going to go and I'm going to be a priest, la di da do until the horrible truth is brought to his attention. And Gordon finally tells Bruce that he believes that his parents were murdered as a political statement, as basically for political crimes. Right, because the parents, and, being physicians, being yeah. high in society, I think they were like um, the the doctor to one of the highest people. The pe- Privy Council. Yeah, the Privy Council. The Privy Council. They will, we yeah. were actually had an underground clinic to support people who had been uh, homosexuals who had been tortured— uh, right. prostitutes who had been tortured. Basically, yeah. every... Uh, I don't know if they talk about um, the Jewish people or not, but, you know, the, the Jews are frowned upon in this right. the uh, people, The state. people who are, who are, for all intents and purposes, being victimized by the state, by right. the church. Right. And they're working, and this is wonderful to me because, you know, old school, they're working with Charles McNider. Yeah, who is... Um, and that, that deafening silence there. No, Dr. I was trying, that's what I was trying to figure out, who he was in yeah, that McNider story. Yeah, McNider is the original Golden Age Dr. Midnight. Okay. And when when Bruce Wayne talks to Dr. Midnight, he's talking about, you know, uh, after all these years, he can't understand, and he talks about what happened to Alan Scott mm-hmm. and what happened to Carter Hall and what happened to all of his old friends, Rex Tyler. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, you know, the Justice Society, those characters still existed, still did what they could in this world. Right. Which I think is wonderful. Well, they did things a little bit differently. I mean, it's not like Hawkman and Hawkwoman. You know, they were right. running They were running guns, uh, yeah. smuggling weapons. Uh, green Arrow is hung in uh, Victoria Actually, Vale's yeah. uh, report because he was, what was he doing? He was supporting some he Jewish underground pornographic. He was supporting Jewish pornographers like Isaac Bashevis Singer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was basically... He was supporting free speech. He was right. doing that overly liberal Green Arrow thing that he does. Right, right. And I did, I did like that that quite a bit. But, but when else that I liked at this point in time, right after Crisis on Infinite Earths, Batman mm-hmm. Year One mm-hmm. was still in continuity. Right. The Reaper, 
Yeah. The original vigilante of Gotham City between uh, Alan Scott and Bruce Wayne. Mm -hmm. The Reaper is uh, Bruce's, uh, basically his mentor in the church, Judson Caspian. Uh, Okay. All right. That's That's the Reaper, the guy from the Batman Year One story. Oh, that's interesting. I thought so, yeah. So Bruce Wayne discovers that his parents were murdered, and he's going to vow revenge on those people that killed his parents. Not just seeking justice for anybody, but just seeking revenge against those people who murdered his parents. Yeah. And he goes to the cave where he used to play, and he brings out a costume that his father wore. Now, in the original DC Universe, he wore it to a costume party. In this world... Thomas Wayne played a demon in a passion play. Right. And the the bat costume is what he wore. And it's an oh, it's a good bat costume. You like that? Best Batman ever. Sorry, man. You okay. you can tell me what you want. But yellow logo. No, wait, now he doesn't wear pants. Oh wait, now he does wear pants. Screw that. This is this is the best Batman costume ever. And there's a scene where he first goes into action and he's got Bishop Brown and he's dragged this man out of his bed. He's drawing back his fist, and it's, oh, God, I love that costume. I want to buy that costume and wear it. So he continues his search and search and search and search, and he finally finds out that it's the uh, the Star Chamber is where he needs to go in the High Cathedral. And he gets into the underground passages and discovers some very crazy things. He finds a young man behind glass. Trying to break out of a cell. What does he find? He finds Barry Allen. He's trying to vibrate out of his cell. And we find Barry Allen has been doused with these chemicals and, and has the super speed, of course. And, and so they're trying to recreate this experiment. We learn more and more about all these weird experiments that people are, that the uh, church is trying, or I guess I should say the state, the church state, is trying to the do search. on people. And we find out about Aquaman, we find out about Mira, we find about their terrible offspring and gene splicing. Uh, we get introduced to the witch, which is apparently Zatanna. It's actually but... Lori Lamaris that they oh, splice his Oh, okay, with. okay. Um, we find out about the witch, which they don't name, but is a Zatanna because she talks backwards, and they're talking about instead of killing witches, we convert them to work on our side. Um mm-hmm. We also find out about um, Clayface is there and is working mm-hmm. for uh, this uh, this doctor guy. What's his name? Um, Dr. Saul Ertle. Yeah. The man who brought the Martian Manhunter to Earth. Right. And he is working on this project. He's oversees this project called Project Green Man. And, Green Man. You know, the story the progresses Martian and progresses Manhunter. and progresses until— Green That's what I thought. Man. That's what I thought, too, until you bust in. That's what we were supposed in. to think. Until you bust in to this laboratory, and we discover that the Green Man is actually Superman, strung out on a cross, essentially, bathed in kryptonite, talking about a pure Kansas couple who found his craft and immediately turned him into the government, and they've been doing experiments on him ever since, and Batman pretty much uh, has enough with that crap, destroys... um, not Mudpack, but uh, Clayface, and then proceeds to the inner chamber where he discovers that that he discovers that there's no one to blame because it's kind of like uh, everyone and no one is to blame because they do this voting on determining how to kill somebody uh, in a blind vote. No one knows who votes, how they voted, and only what the majority is. 
And right. so there's so this plausible the, his deniability. enemy is, in fact, the state. Right. And so he vows to continue on fighting the good fight after that. And that's where nice we ending. end this one shot. Yeah. There's a couple of things. Let's get Rodrigo. Rodrigo hasn't piped in for a while. Rodrigo, let's get some of your thoughts on this, this story, Holy Terror. Okay. So I started reading this, and I was like, oh, okay, no, this is cool. Church Batman, that's awesome. Um, And <laughs> it really really lost me when well it started to lose me when he finds the flash because then it's not a batman story anymore right like i was really hoping yeah that he would have uh created some kind of a justice league no i, I mean i i was i wanted i, I thought this was, oh, a batman was gonna be story. all batman okay um and it kind of annoyed me because we see this a lot we like there's a lot of Reasons not to like the Dark Knight right. 2. Right. Um, <laughs> Dark Knight Returns 2, is that what it was? DK2? I don't know. Uh, DK2. Um, DK2 Kong Country 2. Yes. Um, but the the main reason is that is is that whole going around and getting out every superhero that was ever kicking around to do something else. Like, right. Um, I, I don't know. I was just kind of hoping that this would be all about Batman trying to take down this organization right. without Superman. Like, you're already saying that it's happening in an alternate dimension. Maybe there is no Superman. Maybe there is no Well, Flash. and that's the interesting thing that I find. That's the weirdest part about this entire story is uh, the Flash dies because um, the Doctor turns off the aura that prevents him from burning up from friction. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. Aquaman is out of it, right? He's not going to be there. Uh, then we, we see some of the villains that have been, quote-unquote, rehabilitated. The the witch has been converted over to the side of the church state. Mm -hmm. Then he goes in and he discovers the green man. And, you know, there's some symbolic message there with this emaciated Superman stretched out on a cross-like device. Mm -hmm. and we It's see, definitely a messiah metaphor, yeah. We see Batman looking up in, I think, a great panel with this look of respect and awe on his face. But he never frees him. Well, I think well, he's, he's dead. dead. Oh, is he dead? Because the yeah. bullets are bouncing, still yeah. all bouncing off his body. Well, he's still bulletproof. But he, yeah, Ertl clearly says that they had they had to neutralize his threat and they killed him. Oh, okay. I just was under the assumption that neutralizing was the kryptonite rays, and he was still still there. Yeah. No, he's yeah. he's supposed he had to, be to dead. eliminate the threat. Okay. Well, so then you know it is a Batman story because there are no other. There are no other heroes. It is That's it is him. It is an origin is, story. Yeah, but but even so, like... it, it explains that Batman in in this reality, Batman is really the only one whose methodology. Batman is the only one who could survive in this world. Yeah, yeah, but and why, I, I think that's kind of the underlying point. Why did we spend half the issue saying, "Oh, by the way, Batman is the only one who could survive in this reality"? The end. Why didn't we just see a story in which? Batman at least starts trying to take down the establishment. The end of this entire story is, and now I will become Batman. It's an origin. Yeah, it is an origin, and I think that if they hadn't put something in there about the about the these other Justice characters, and we then people would say, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? So they attempted to explain in this world why there wasn't a Superman and why mm -hmm. there wasn't a Barry Allen or why there wasn't these golden and silver age heroes, yet there's right. Batman. And, you know, to the extent they're also trying to use these characters to show us really 
how bad and how corrupt the the establishment is that Batman is now devoting himself to going after. It's almost like right. Dante's Inferno as he keeps going down all these different levels. Things get worse and worse and worse and worse mm -hmm. until he gets down into the star chamber, which is that last level of hell, hell where everything is frozen over and you have this ancient decrepit man saying, ah, it's not our fault, it's everyone's fault. And, da, 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 da. and that, that, you know, we start to see Batman's views change as he goes down each one of these different steps that he takes into becoming the Batman. And I think to some degree, Rodrigo's, uh, Rodrigo's complaint with the issue is a little bit defined by the fact that this is the first official quote unquote air quote <laughs> Elseworlds title. And I right. think that they were they were intentionally and, you know, very specifically trying to create not just an alternate Batman, but an alternate DC universe in which that Batman exists. Mm -hmm. So it definitely, I, I can see the argument that it detracts from the Batman story. And, and honestly, I agree with that up to a point, but you also, if I were looking at this story as just, you know, a graphic novel called Holy Terror, wherein our protagonist is Bruce Wayne, but there are also moments with, you know, Alfred Pennyworth, there are moments with, brief moments but moments nonetheless with barry allen where we see you know zatanna and dr Ertle, and that very important moment where superman becomes key to batman's survival mm -hmm. dr Ertle is not taken down by batman being so smart that he can prepare for anything mm -hmm. clayface is taken down by batman being smart dr Ertle is taken down by the fact that his own actions left a dead Superman in the middle of the room and a bullet ricochets and hits him in the heart. Right. So I like the fact that, you know, Ertl is basically hoisted by his own petard. If it weren't called Batman, Holy Terror, if it were called JLA, Holy Terror, would that change your feelings about that portion of the book? It might, but... Uh then I would probably be complaining about there not being enough JLA on it. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. it starts out, and, and and this is important, I didn't mind the reference to Green Arrow being killed, I didn't mm -hmm. mind the reference to the Halls, I didn't mind the reference to Dr. Midnight, I didn't mind all, all of the Silver Age guys for a couple of reasons. Uh, m largely because most of them were humans. I Actually, I think pretty much all of them like start out as humans. Right. Um. So the fact that they never got... The, it, it still made sense for them to exist in this reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, even not as superheroes. Um, but it, it's like, here's this alternate reality in which Oliver Cromwell turned the world into a giant cathedral, and yet Barry <laughs> Allen still gets electrocuted and gets superpowers. Right. You get struck by lightning. Yeah. Um, it, it just seemed like a story to me. I mean, all these other people are still there, but they never became superheroes. Mm -hmm. They did other things. Mm-hmm. The fact that Barry Allen and basically the Justice League still somehow manifests right, just seemed very strange to me. And I don't know. I, I In the end, I'm glad that he just came in and then they all die in front of him, basically. Yeah. yeah. And then mm -hmm. it kind of becomes Batman's story again. But when I first got to that, I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. No, mm -hmm. seriously, he's going to go out. He's going to free Superman. And then it's going to be... You know, Holy Terror featuring Batman and Superman. Right. right. I was actually glad. World's that's finest Holy Terror. Exactly. World's holiest. Um, <laughs> so that I was glad about. But it, it left a bad taste in my mouth that, you know, if this wasn't 
like that that all of those guys absolutely had to be there and a lot of the time that's how i feel about um a lot of stories especially elseworld elseworld kind of stories that come out of dc um if you guys have have you guys read one nail or the yeah, nail the nail mm-hmm. the nail yeah um like sometimes as i was reading that and it's been a really long time since i read it, but i remember thinking that like why are there even other superheroes in this? Why isn't this just a Superman story kind of thing? Right, right. And and I don't know, maybe that's just my point of view that, you know, when I see Batman in a title, I kind of expect it to be a Batman book. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, largely this was. But there's that uh, hint that there's all these other superheroes kicking around, and it just kind of leaves a lot of open-ended issues for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that what the writer was doing is was you know just peppering things in and trying to make it cool and trying to hook it right, up to right. the DC universe. Right. But for me, it just makes all these tiny little holes in the story, mm-hmm. and it kind of annoys me. Well, and I think that might be part of the of what happened with Elseworlds as it began because they obviously had Gotham by Gaslight, which did extremely well mm-hmm. uh, at mm-hmm. the time. Really took a lot of people by surprise. Very hard issues to track down in their single issue form mm-hmm. um, because they had a limited print run, but it did extremely well. And so DC said, hey, let's try to do this. Throw it out for everybody to write Elseworlds stuff. And everybody still, for the longest time in those first groups of Elseworlds, was kind of follow the gaslight. Let's formula. follow this. Well, let's follow, follow this formula of, and most of the early ones were Batman ones, obviously. And Virtually most of all been, of the early yeah, ones were Batman. Yeah, because you have. Batman as Green Lantern, mm-hmm. uh, Batman, Batman. Yeah, Dark Rain or uh, Red Rain, uh, all these others, but it still had these elements of, well, what about the other superheroes? What if Superman there? became Batman? That was my favorite. <laughs> Did you like that one? Batman's speeding bullet. Mine was, uh, you know, I obviously love Gotham by Gaslight, but I also like the, um, the one that had uh, Superman and Tesla trying to bring light to the world <laughs> and it all falling apart. Nice. Um, which one is so, that? Is that one of the ones where like Superman falls to Earth a lot earlier and like yes. basically takes over the world? Well, that would probably be like has Red. To... Well, Red Sun is the one where he falls in Russia into instead Russia. of Kansas. Okay. We could we yeah. should talk about Elseworlds in another episode, but you know this one particularly was I thought fascinating just because of the whole. This was a total mind warp difference from Gotham by Gotham by Gotham by Gaslight. Um, Gotham by Goslight. Yes, because Batman was just in Victorian England. This is a whole change in society. The whole mm-hmm. nature of the universe has changed in uh, this Elseworlds story. You know, story. that's another the other one. one was... I just remember in Red Sun, I was reading along and I was like, okay, communist Superman, all right. America making a bizarro, you know, but that, that right, makes right, sense. Right. And then all of a sudden there's a Russian Batman. Right. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? How does that make any sense? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, suspension of disbelief. Uh, Whim of the writer. They are they are asking for they're asking for like a different level of suspension of disbelief <laughs> for me. It's like, yeah, forget it. Art? What'd you think of the art? Um, I liked it. It's it's not a style that I'm terribly happy with. I guess there's it's just like this and kind of um. To a lesser extent, you know, uh, Dark Knight Returns and uh, what what else? What was the other one that we read? The Cult mm-hmm. has this kind of um, I don't know. It's there, there's it, there's something about the paneling yeah. of them that I find a little bit off putting, and it's it's probably just completely a generational thing. 
Yeah, well, I think that you're not th- old enough to get it. I think the layout is very typical of everything that we saw in that time period. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, this that's is what roughly. It is. This is roughly. This is like ninety ninety one somewhere. I want to say yeah, this is roughly right analogous now. to the cult in terms of when it came out. Contemporary is the word I'm looking for, but Norm Brayfogel. Yeah, yeah. Norm Brayfogel, Fogel, who drew this book, was the Batman artist. Yeah. For several years. And I think it was on the strength of this. The the wonderful thing about Bray Fogel's work here is he manages to have kind of a cartoony aspect In many where you of the see a character and that you know their face has a little bit of that cartoon elongation, but it doesn't it doesn't kill it as a realistic depiction. There's a moment where the first moment we see the the Batman in full repose standing in Bishop Brown's room. He's got this kind of weird, stretchy, hate face thing going on where he's like, right, right. I, am, I am the Batman. Right. And it, again, happens. Uh, I, am, one, I am the God-fearing Batman. But. It also happens in that one panel that I was referencing where Batman looks at Superman with this all-respect kind of half-smile on his face. It's a very cartoony panel, but it works in you know who it reminds the me rest of, right of everything there? else. Alex Toth. Yeah. The man who, who especially, there's a real kind of a, a space ghost feel yeah, to the yeah, way Bray yeah. Fogel does the cowl here. Yeah, you're right. And I love, I love the, I love the redesign, the the weird gothic cathedral belt and the little halo around the bat, mm-hmm. where it looks like his chest actually, you know, is a saint unto itself. Right. And the way all of the edges, the scalloped edges of the cape and the cowl aren't just pointy; they've got a little scallopy, whippy thing to them. Yeah, they all where look they look like. They look like gothic architecture as well. Mm-hmm. This costume is just beautiful. I wish this was Batman's regular costume. I <laughs> you know, that was... it, it took me a while to realize that the halo thing going up is supposed to like represent a priest's collar. Right. Because uh-huh. I, was, I was looking at it, and I was like, you know, I could really do without the... The white line. The, the white line going up yeah. to the neck. Like It, it just kind of breaks things up in a weird way. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's not until that very, like, the second to the last or maybe third to the last page where he takes the mask off and is like, oh, it's supposed to be a priest collar. Yeah. So right. I didn't get he, that at all. Yeah. He's the re- the right reverend goddamn Batman. Yep. But, so is this, uh, let me ask you this, is this a comic that is, uh, that is a lefty conspiracy to bring down the, <laughs> to bring down the conservative Christian right? Yes, absolutely. But in a way that's fun, Alan Brennert... <laughs> Alan Brennert is a really, really over, uh, uh, over-decorated comic book type writer. And Brennert has written actual, you know, books w- without them pictures in them. So I love this, just this whole story from top to bottom. And what's fascinating is even if you, rereading it, I didn't remember the bits and pieces about the horrible state murdering and killing and, you know, treating people horrifically. Right. You know what I remembered? The I remembered man. Batman, the Green Man. I remembered Batman being emotionally scarred, but not so damaged that he couldn't give his his dearest friend and you know his, his stand-in parent a hug when Alfred left. Right. I remember a Batman who was shocked and hurt, and you know personally betrayed and filled with vengeance when he found out that the state wasn't what it seemed, and what he believed in may not have been all it seemed. I remember a character who, at the end of the book, has regained his faith in the church 
and what it actually, you know, he regained his faith in the G word. Can we say God? Sure. Let's say God. He he was, he's, he's, <laughs> oh, shut up. He's returned his faith in, in God. And he, you know, he's looking at the church as maybe something that needs to be fought, but it doesn't undermine his faith. Right. It actually, right. it actually underlines his faith. And it, right. You know, because he even, at the end, yeah, I don't know if it's at the end when he's talking about it or if he's talking about it with um, um, Midnight, um, but they are talk- They have a conversation about how the church, the church state, is no longer representational of what Cromwell may have wanted originally, mm-hmm. but how it's been corrupted from the inside, even though people are using religion to commit all of these horrendous acts. It's really not your faith that's corrupt, it's it's the system that's corrupt. Yeah, and I don't think, I don't think this book... like. I've seen a couple of uh, commentaries about this book, and they it, it seems that some people think that this book is saying, you know, church bad, control of the state bad, kind of mm-hmm. kind of thing. But it's not because, you know, Batman is fighting for the church within the church and against the church. It's right. like just in this world, the church is everything. Mm-hmm. Every last right. thing mm-hmm. is the church. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Batman kind of represents one faction of thought within the church. Right. I, yeah. I just never, you know, I am not one that gets into the political BS mm-hmm. that people like to heap upon stuff. It's a fun book. It's a different yeah. story. It's telling the Batman story in a different way. And I just see it as kind of like what you you said, Rodrigo. It's a story about the something that's set within the church atmosphere. It's not necessarily yeah. saying that the entire church is bad mm-hmm. or all religion is bad, but maybe there are components that get corrupt. It's kind of like uh, how Coruscant is an entire planet that's a city. Right. Gotham City yeah. is an entire city that's a church. There you go. Matthew, at the, go ahead. At the end of the book, they clearly say, Batman says... The words are still true. If I am true to the words, the path I follow is a righteous one. Right. It's actually saying that the the Catholic ideas, the, the teachings of Cathol, whatever it is, I love saying that joke, by the way. <laughs> Hadn't whatever it is that noticed. Batman believes in. And it's not really important right. what Batman believes in. It's not really important what you know the members of the church are trying to do. It's that the members of the church have overstepped their power, have have you know basically become corrupt. Mm-hmm. And the Batman is about stopping the corrupt. And in this world, everything is the church, and thus the corruption of man may be involved with the church. But he's not attacking the church. He's attacking the men who have taken the role and tried to you know overstep the bounds and become the church. So yeah, you know it. I don't see it as any type of attack on anybody's faith. And granted, I say that as the type of person who wouldn't be offended if my faith was like, look, it's a monkey, because that's not the way that's not the way I, I look at things. No matter what you make fun of, if if I believe it, I believe it. You can make all the fun of it because you're probably a jackass. Right. So bottom but, line, bottom line, how do you rate this book, Matthew? I recommended it. We are in a run of Matthew recommended the book for review. Right. This is bar none my favorite Batman story okay. as a contained arc. It starts in Crime Alley. It ends in Crime Alley. Batman does Batmany things while still being human, while still being you know having human frailties, having moments of actual emotion, being a good character. 
and being a character who's very skillfully drawn within the limited space of the book. It even ties in that whole JLA connection and the little bits and pieces for the people like me who like to do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the moment where Superman becomes entwined in Batman's life, even in this alternate universe, that worked for me. Okay. I liked that. Rodrigo. So I would say absolutely a recommendation. Rodrigo. Um... I didn't. I didn't particularly. I think I just came into it expecting. I. I don't want to say something completely different, but. Uh, I think, that, there's a story here, that does get told, but there are times when it loses focus. There are times when it tries to tell you more about the world than you really need about the story. Mm-hmm. More about the DC universe that you really need for the story. Right. Um. I. I wish that the entire story of this was told in the first three pages. My parents were killed, and then I found out that it was a murderer, so now I fight, and I'm a priest, and now tell me an actual story of Batman mm-hmm. kicking butt as mm-hmm. a as an avenging priest. Mm-hmm. Um, so all in all, I wasn't too impressed by it. It's not bad. Okay. It's definitely not bad. Um, if you've been listening, and, and why would you listen this far into it? I don't know. But if you've been listening and you like some of the stuff that we brought up, I'd say definitely check it out. But I, I, I wouldn't go out of my way to pick it up. Yeah, I, I'm going to kind of I'm not going to go as crazy in love with this as Matthew did, but I'm also not disliking it as much as Rodrigo did. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of right in the middle of the road. This is a very good story, a very good kickoff to the Elseworlds series. I like how they're interpreting Batman in this universe and how they try to answer all the questions that a comic book fan would have coming into this title. Uh, I love the art. I love the pacing of the story. Um, I thought it was very good. I say that I recommend it. Uh, I'm not saying I highly recommend it, but I do think it is a very, very good read. All right, and I think that wraps it up for this issue of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for listening and being a part of the Major Spoilers experience. Don't forget where you can follow us on Twitter and a bunch of other ways that you can do stuff. Don't forget about the contest. Yoda's out there. Call that hotline number. Uh, You could win some Star Wars action figures. Next week, we're going to take a look at Pedro and Me by Judd Winnick. That's also a Matthew recommendation. Why? Well, because we like to let Matthew pick out some stuff in the show every once in a while, and we know that he loves comics, and we know that you do too. And we will talk with you next time. If you have any questions, comments, topic ideas for future shows, or would like to sponsor a show, send an email to podcast at Majorspoilers.com. Visit Majorspoilers at Majorspoilers.com, and be sure to check out the Major Spoilers forum. You can also follow Major Spoilers on Twitter at twitter.com slash majorspoilers and on MySpace at myspace.com slash majorspoilers. Bad the X-ray vision of a Superman. I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store got here, they kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little meat would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
What a major spoiler What a major spoiler If I'm stark raving rich like a man of iron I might not be surprised to find That I might actually have the heart cold To follow an entire storyline But would I really even need To read up on all those escapades I mean, who needs such distractions When your sister's such a babe But the downside is such a beast Being shot up in a fun Being the Middle East With a King Santo and soldier what a major spoiler What a major spoiler Yeah, yeah, yeah What a major spoiler Whoa, 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 whoa What a major spoiler Major Spoilers Podcast Copyright 2010